There you go. Awesome. I'm going to, um, yeah, Richard got me a bit emotional, so I'm going to try project my voice as best as possible without the power. Um, awesome. Welcome, guys. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be here, and um, today I just, there's something on my heart that I'd love to share with you guys that is um, quite close. Um, so I'm quite thankful to, for this opportunity. So um, for, for those of you who were here last Sunday, uh, we, we spoke about inheritance and being a child of God. And one, one of the things that Willem mentioned was he asked the question, what, has anyone inherited anything? And a few people put up their hand and someone said a Bible, someone said a home, someone said this or that. And he asked the question, what did you do to earn that? And there was nothing that you did to get that gift or the inheritance. It was because of who you are, not what you do. So, um, and the point was that we are children of God. We become children of God when we, when we join up and, 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 and we, we come to Him. And it's not about what we do, but who we are. Um, but if you think of inheritance, if you think of it a little bit further, if you think of inheritance in the worldly sense, you might inherit something from a father who was never there in your life. So there could be this legal thing to say kind of, all right, I get something from somebody I wasn't really close to. So there's still that part. But God is different. It's, it's an inheritance, but there's also love. There's a there's a commitment from God's side to us and us to Him. And so today, it's just talking about God's love specifically. So building on from, from the inheritance and being a child of God, but God loving us. Um, so uh, one, one aspect I want to diverge a little bit with, and it's a pity, there's no power, there's a, there's a, a slide I'd love to have shown you guys, but um, God is great. And... Being, being a father of uh, three boys, you learn a lot. And those who have kids, you realize it's like your second schooling again because, you know, they ask questions and they, they say things and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. And you're kind of learning with them again. And they think you know everything, but you're just learning with them. You know? So, <laughs> um, and for interest's sake, we were just looking at like the size of things and just the magnificence of creation. And if you take, take a look at the world, I mean, there are so many things and so many animals and so, many, so much in nature. But the world itself is massive. We were up in Pretoria for, for um, Christmas and it felt like it felt very far away. And then we looked at that map on the globe and then there's just those two dots. When I show the boys, we went from there to there. They're like, but that's not very far. You know, but, you know, so in the context of the globe, it's not far, but for us it was, it was far. And if you were to take a plane, so, you know, we were thinking about these things, how, how long would it take you to get firstly to Pretoria or to Joburg? It's about two hours. How long would it take you to get around the whole world, just how big the world is? It would take you about 45 hours we worked out. And that, I mean, that's almost two days nonstop you drive around. So we, we took it a little bit further and we thought, how, how long does it take you to get to the moon? If you were to climb in a plane and get to the moon, it's about, what I looked up, 384,000 kilometers. So it would take you 19 days. So if you take that plane and you aim straight up, 19 days later you'd get there. Now that's a, that's a long time. But then you say, but the moon is 
in the context of the solar system, the moon is close. You know, we're talking about Pretoria is close in the world, the world is close, the moon, the moon is actually quite close if you think of the sun. So let's say you take a plane and you shoot through to the sun. How long would that take you? And it's 147 million kilometers apparently. Yesterday felt like it was closer, got a bit of a sunburn. But uh, <laughs> it, it would take you 20 years non-stop flying with a, with a jet plane to get to the sun. And then you think, but the sun and the earth are quite close if you think of the solar system. And then I thought, okay, how long would it take you to get from one end of the solar system to the other? That's 9.1 billion kilometers. It would take you 1,250 odd years. So to put that into perspective, when the Roman Empire falls, dark ages are about to start, just have just started. You climb in a plane, you would have just recently arrived at the end. You travel throughout history on a plane. And then you look at the Milky Way. And that's the slide that I had over there. There's this beautiful picture of the Milky Way. I, I don't know if some of you have seen it. It's, it's like this twirl of just stars and stuff. It just, it's beautiful. And then, then when I googled, where is our solar system in this big twirl of things? Just imagine that was the wall there. Our, our solar system would be a tiny dot that you can barely see on the large Milky Way. So that thing that would take you, you 1,250 years in one plane is, isn't even a dot on this enormous, in this enormous galaxy. And then you realize, but there are many galaxies. And it just goes on and on. And you think to yourself, and it blows my mind, and just to think how great God is. How big is He? And why, why almost this excess? There's no way we'll ever get out of our galaxy. It's just not possible. And it's just for His glory. I think it's just because of the wonder. We get to look out through these amazing things and see what's way out there and just appreciate His glory. And there's a few verses I want to share on that. Um, so uh, bear with me. There's, there's no projector there. But Isaiah 55, 8-9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And that's just a beautiful picture of me. He's just greater beyond everything. He, he thinks differently. He's, he's above all. And we can, we can trust in him in that, that he knows better. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. We will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Psalm 97 verse 9. Sorry, I'm just going through those. If you page in through, you might not keep up. <laughs> For you, Lord, are the most high over all of the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And so here we get this picture of a God. Thinking of last week, he invites us to be a child. He is so much greater than anything we can imagine. So much more powerful. So, so great. And then, if, if you allow me to diverge still a little further... That's the big, just the majesticness and the largeness, I want to say, of God. But then if you look at the detail, 
things go even, in my opinion, just crazier. Like, it's just more amazing. So, if you were to, for instance, so, we are made of, of apparently, they reckon, 37 trillion cells in your body. Trillion. Now, billion, million, trillion, they all sound close. But just to put that in perspective, if you were to break down your body into cells and line them up, and Adam, he was just created by God, he started counting day and night, without sleeping, without anything. Right now, if he was still counting, and we would check on him, he would have counted most of one hand, the body cells. If one, one count every second, one, two, three, he would only have counted the cells in almost the hand, not even the full hand. It would take him almost 1.2 million years to count every cell of one human being without sleep. Every second he counts, without sleep, without, yeah. But he hasn't counted that fast, so we won't know how far he would have gotten. Um, but where it gets amazing for me, then you take one of those tiny cells. And is that the smallest building block? No, it's not. You get 100 trillion atoms in one of those cells. Just one of those cells. 100 trillion. And what blows me even further, my mind even further is that those things are made of protons, neutrons, and electrons, and they found that it can go even smaller than that. Inside of one of those, you get quarks and leptons and bosons and stuff I don't understand, but it goes even smaller than that. And one day, maybe, through amazing technology, they'll find out, wait a minute, if we take that quark and we break it up, there are more building blocks. And for me, it's just, and I, this is not a science lesson, I'm sorry, but, uh, or a biology lesson, but the point is just the, you dig deeper and there's just more. There's just more. It's almost like his, his glory, his, his greatness is never ending. You think you know and then you break up and you realize this little thing that I thought was the building block is the, this one cell of your body is made out of atoms, which is a hundred trillion of them. It's not the smallest thing. And then you just go deeper and deeper. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if it just goes deeper infinitely. And just to put in perspective, an atom is so small, you can't actually see it with light. The light never reflects on it. So they have to do all these weird techniques to see it. Because even if they can zoom in far enough, it, it doesn't reflect light and we see with light. So it's just crazy to think how small that is. But on, on that, God is in the detail. God is in the detail. So if we look at Matthew 10, 29 verse 30, it says... Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And the context here of the penny is it's a small amount, saying that aren't uh, these sparrows actually cheap or worth little? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So here we have a God who's created all this greatness, and yet he's in the detail. He knows every hair on every one of our heads. And some of us have a few less to count, which makes it easier. But he knows all of them. Um, he knows all of that. He's in the detail. He's not just, I've created everything, people down there. He's in, in the detail. So God is a God of everything. He's majestic, all-powerful, the creator, the king of kings. There's so many names. Actually, just the list of verses when I looked up, just describing how big he really is, how majestic, how amazing he is. But what is special to that is he chooses to love us. 
He chooses to love us. Psalm 36, 5 to 7 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountain. Your justice is like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Please take uh, people, sorry, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. His love reaches to the heavens. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God. Excuse me. Now, those two verses are, are just an indication of how great God's love is. But if you notice, it's a collective love. He's talking in those two verses. It's a, I love people, I love us. You know, He loves us. And, you know, if you think about that a little bit too long, you might think, but hang on, if He loves just people, that's like me saying, I love dogs. I love dogs. But if I go to someone's house who I've never met and I go to the dog, the dog doesn't know me, I don't know the dog, but I say I love dogs collectively, alright? There are verses that show that God doesn't just love us people generically, He loves us personally. And so if we look at um, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, and um, I'm sure this is something we've all heard, uh, or a lot of us have heard before, but here, interestingly, He speaks to Jeremiah, and He says, Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So here we get a guy who wasn't even a thought in his parents' head. It was before any of that. God said, Jeremiah, called him my name and said, I... Thanks, Stephen. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. So here he's going personal, not people. He's saying, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were even born, God knew him. And he set him apart for his purpose, for his glory. John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here God sends Jesus to us to die for us. And this is a common verse, but think about that. He sends His Son for us. We chose to rebel. People chose to go away from God. He gave us that choice in Adam and Eve's time. He gave us that choice. And we chose to rebel. And He sent His Son as a sacrifice for us. That's how much He loves us. And this wasn't just a sudden change of heart. Like, yeah, things aren't looking so great. I need to do something, you know, I need to step in here. If you look at Genesis 3 verse 15, I don't have, have that written now, but it talks about, um, he talks to Satan right after the fall, right after the fall. It says, um, you know, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Already saying that Jesus is going to come, you're going to hurt him, but he's going to crush you. 
and he's talking about the cross already at that point. From the fall, I mean, we rebel against God and already he sets a plan, prophetic thing in motion, saying, this will happen, I will call everybody back. And to me, that speaks of love. I mean, there are so many prophetic uh, places where he's talking about Jesus and what's coming throughout the Old Testament. I mean, Psalm 22, if you read that, I think it's Psalm 20, I'm, I might be wrong. But um, it, it talks about the crucifixion almost. If you read it, you're like, hang on, this is crucifixion. But that wasn't even back then. I mean, that wasn't even a thing. It, it was re- invented by the Romans. Just how David had this picture and shared this thing about Jesus. And then even in Moses' time, um, there's this... Re- I, I love this, this passage. It's, it's a really strange one. Um, but I'd love to share it as well. So... There's a bunch of snakes and they bite the people and the people get sick. And if you know the story of Moses, then they complain, Oh, Moses, Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt to, for us to die in the desert? And then, then he has to go back to God and say, God, the people are moaning again. What do I do? And God says to him something very strange. And at first it sounds a little bit like idolatry. He says, Moses, take a stick, put a snake on the stick and get everyone to come to the snake and they will be healed from this poison. You think, yo, now that's a little bit dodged. But then, with the picture of Jesus, you realize, if you draw that parallel, Jesus at the poison is talking about sin. We are filled with sin. We are dying of this poison. And the, uh, the Bible speaks about, um, I think it's in Romans where it says, the wages of sin is death. We are dying from this sin. And on the stick later, Jesus became sin on a stick so that all who come to the cross will be freed, will be set free. So here in Moses' time, God already, knowing his plan, put the symbolism to say, come to the cross where the poison is hanging and you'll be free from that poison. That's exactly what happened um, at Jesus' time. So what God's plan from the beginning, from the fall, was redemption because he loves us because he cares for us it's he didn't have to but he did he chose a plan he made a way at the cost of a son from the beginning was the plan <clears throat> excuse me now something i i often often hear is, but yes, I know God loves me and I know I should probably come back to Him and I should come back to church and I should come back to all of this. But I just don't either feel worthy or I just need to sort out this addiction or I just need to sort my stuff out or I just need to get over this trouble at work or I just need to, you know, make right and then, and then come to Him. And you might think, okay, yes, God sent His Son to die. Maybe he sent the son to die for those desperate people calling out to him. But let's read what Romans 5, 6 to 8 says. He says, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. So he died for those people saying, I just need to get over this addiction. I just need to break through this. I just need to sort out my stuff before I can come to Him. And it carries on and says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, 
Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that we were all sinners. He died for us not because of our righteousness, not because of any good in us, but because he died so that we can become righteous. In our sins, he died so that we can become righteous. <clears throat> and and this, this love that God has for us, it's different to the love of friendship, the love of marriage, because it's, our human love is always conditional to some point. You know, you say we're best friends, but until your best friend, you know, really does you in and breaks your trust and something bad happens, and then the friendship falls apart. It's, it's, it's conditional. You give me, I give you. God's love is unconditional. It's, it's a love that reaches out in our rebellion. It says, I'm here for you. In our rebellion. One John four verse nineteen says, "We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. We can't love out of our own, not genuinely, but with His love we can love. And this love it trans it transforms us. It 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 overcomes fear. If we look at." Um, <clears throat> If we look at what, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for the, the spirit of, for, the, for the Spirit God gave us did not make us timid, but make us power, um, give us power, love, and a self-discipline. I know a different verse says, for God has given, not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And there it's talking about not giving us a spirit of fear. So if you are struggling with fear embracing God's love and asking him to experience that love overcomes that fear now there's another verse about fear which which was quite interesting to me it's 1 John 4 verse 18 says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear and I thought it's the same fear as you know you're looking at 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 but it might just be a different one looking if you read on saying because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's almost a fear with punishment. It's that thing of inheritance again. If you know your your dad or somebody was very hard on you and, and you know beat you unfairly or something like that, when you get raised, you, you feel like I have to please, I have to earn, I have to this and that. It's that fear of punishment. I just need to do right, otherwise I'll be in trouble. If you're struggling with that, and it almost reminds me. I'm stretching this here, so, um, but it, it reminds me of a religious spirit. Like, I must earn, I must do, I must, it's that fear of punishment, fear of not being good enough, not doing right. Perfect love casts that out. So, if you're feeling like you've got this mentality of, if I do my side, God will love me. If I do this, He will embrace me. If I don't mess up again, he will love me. Just not again. Otherwise, it's the last time. He, he probably won't forgive me. We need to embrace his love because his love will remove that. If you're thinking that, you have not been renewed completely. Because it says perfect love casts out that fear. 
His love teaches us to love. We, we read just now that we, we love because He first loved us. But John 13, 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is talking to the guys there saying, I've shown you how to love this. Take this and love others the way I have loved you. They were walking with him. They were the guys that knew exactly what it looked like. What it, they experienced that firsthand. And he says, love other people like I have loved you. So it teaches us to love others. So when we experience the love of God, we can go and show other people that love of God. And another way that it transforms us is it satisfies. It satisfies us. If you're feeling broken hearted or, 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 or crushed in spirit or down or depressed or going through difficult things, read Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you are feeling just the weight of the world and you feel crushed in spirit and brokenhearted, know that the Lord is close by. He is close by. That's what the word says. He's close. He's close. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, now this is in the context of uh, David speaking in the in troubled times. And he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. So feeling restless and just, then do what David did when he felt restless and, and, and uh, discontent, is ask God to satisfy you in the morning with unfailing love so that you may sing for joy and be glad all of your days. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 Who comforts us in all our, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God comforts us just as we then go and comfort other people. So if you need comfort as well, His love transforms us. It comforts us so that we can go and we can comfort those around us who have trouble too with that comfort we receive from God first. Thank you. So I, I, I'd like to just ask as well um, if, if there is anybody here who, who hasn't experience God's love, who doesn't know God as a loving father. Maybe he understands this greatness, God is great, and this respecting of, Yo, no, God is out there, but doesn't know that God loves them, or would like to be transformed in those ways where just not satisfied, not content, or struggling with fear, or um, unable to show love elsewhere because you, you haven't received that love first. Um, if you would like, I'd love to um, just ask that, um, you know, maybe, Ruck, if you, 
if you're okay to uh, rock, if you're okay to maybe just play one more song just now. And then we can just, you can come forward for some prayer. Um, but I'd like, I'd like to do, ask if we can maybe do it a bit different, that we ever, if there's somebody who would like to come forward, that somebody from the church can just come to pray with them, but just quietly pray with them and give them the opportunity to talk to God. This isn't something we're going to pray into, love of God into them, but allow them to just share their heart with God. If you have the boldness to just do that with somebody and having somebody pray with you while you do that, just to, just to share. And if you feel uncomfortable with people around, maybe move to the side, to the corner, even outside if you feel it's more quiet, no one will hear you. But just to, just to have a place where you can say, Lord, this is on my heart. I'd like to just extend this um, and talk to you about this and ask for your love. I want to just add to, to what Neil says, and, and you know, this what is coming out of his mouth today is so much what I've been busy with in my head this last couple of weeks actually. And um, last week we had a whistle, this week, we, this morning we had a God wants us attention, you know, He wants us to focus on Him so that it can rain down on us without fear. You know, we must not fear what is around us, I must not fear what Sarah is going to think of me. If I come and stand out and say, Lord, here I am, and do what you want with me, because I'm the clay and you the potter. I see in the Vatos Rathmark, I see in the Vatos Kanyes, I see in the Vatos Anrak, I can only think, I can from Bertia, I can find my no problem, but in every day, I see Father Riff and Kanpan, I see Kanan Pidim. I would observe him for him sit, so that God with him can bear. I found a kiss and a few of the same. Stephen, you can off kiss on my daddy. Of je kan kies om van haar weg te doen. Maar ik ben niet geforceerd om je te wees voor En elke keer wat hij is, het is hier zo voor de reden, en hij noemt het de divine appointment. Hij is hier omdat hij gezet is om het God die je wil gehad het, en je hebt geluisterd. Hij had ook een woord uitgekomen, er was een woord in het earlier, that for those that are faithful, that has the faith, is to pray for those that is struggling a little bit more with faith. And if you feel and see anybody coming forward, most of men say it to me, you also have said, you also said, for anybody that doesn't know God so well, that wants to know Him, that wants to give your heart to Jesus, come forward. It's a call to you today. It's a whistle. God wants to whistle to you. Come forward. Those that feels that they need prayer for this year to come, like Jane said, she's got a New Year resolution, thinking of how I'm going to get close to God. Where I want to be, where I need to be, there's a call for, for, for Bible, to read our Bible. Whatever it is, you know what's going on in your heart. Whatever you need faith in, come forward. And then we will pray with you. Don't be fear. Don't fear what I'm going to say or any 